All right. We're going to be in the book of Luke, uh, chapter 14, chapter 14. We're going to spend a couple weeks in a series. Uh, We're going to take a look at a few parables that Jesus taught. Excuse me. I feel really unorganized this morning. Right, but I was starting to get a little warm. And he talked to you and and me in this book about coming to the table. How many of you love the words, let's eat? Aren't those just like two of the greatest words in the English language? Let's eat. Aren't they fun at Super Bowl parties and, and playoff games? And just after church on a Sunday, let's eat. Food is great. I hope you would agree. The Bible teaches that food may actually be more beneficial than we realize. Food is more important than just food or just fighting hunger. Food, when we come to the table, is about connection. It's about relationship. It's part of the reason we're catering fried chicken for this alpha group starting at 1230 today. A meal with someone is engaging. Yes or no? Have you ever had anybody over? Have you ever met somebody for coffee? It's, it's a time to grow a friendship. Um, it's, a, it's acceptance. It's fellowship. Not too long ago, the Wall Street Journal uh, talked about the social importance of family mealtimes for children. Listen to this. Harvard Medical Study. Credible or not credible? It's probably pretty credi- credible. There's some smart people that go to school there. Okay, Harvard Medical Study showed that kids who ate regularly with their parents were considerably healthier and 72% less likely to experience depression, self-esteem issues, suicidal thoughts, develop eating disorders, or use illegal drugs than those who did not eat regular meals with their family. Food is more than just food, is it not? Yes, it is. Meals matter. Meals matter. So when Jesus says to us, come to the table, which you'll see him say today in the text, it's an invite. It's an invite for those of you who don't know Christ or don't feel like you fit in or feel like you're far from God to be forgiven of your sins. Not just that, but to have your soul renewed, to meet and know Jesus in a very real way. Maybe you've left Jesus. Maybe you'd like to come back to Jesus. Maybe he's begging you not to come to the table, but to come back to the table because you've been gone for some time. Not just to come to church, but to come back to church. To come back into fellowship with with the community of believers. If that's you, you're in luck. This text is about you today. Uh, These next two Sundays, I'm going to call Amnesty Weeks. Everybody say Amnesty Week. Meaning, you're pardoned. Okay. Now the truth of the matter is, every week is Amnesty Week at the mill. You can, you can declare your love for Jesus and receive forgiveness, pardon of your sins, but we're going to make them a little special by giving them a name. Don't they sound better if we give them a name? It's a special week, this week and next. Everyone listen to this. Here's what I'm going to offer you at the end of this message. I'm going to offer you an opportunity to become a Christian. And I hope it's an opportunity that you take seriously, soberly, 
that you give thought to throughout the course of this message as you listen. If you've been away from God, an opportunity to come back to him, to recommit your life to him. The second thing I'm going to offer to you at the end of this message is an opportunity to be baptized in water to be baptized in water. You say, wait a minute, pastor, we just had a baptism. We only have a couple a year. I just feel really strongly impressed to do a water baptism next Sunday. Haven't talked to the staff about it. But if we have some who are interested, we're going to fill up the tank and we're going to baptize people in water. And I'm going to challenge you probably harder than I ever have before in 12 years at the end of this sermon to be water baptized if you have not. So that's where we're going. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that we would be open to your Holy Spirit this morning. Lord, you are a judge, but you're a lawgiver, but you're also a grace dispenser. You offer to give us heaven. And Lord, I just pray that someone here might say yes to heaven today, that they might declare themselves a Christian, that they might want to be baptized in water to demonstrate their faith, even if they've already been saved. God, I pray that you would use this text to show us the importance of both saying yes, accepting your invitation to dinner, to fellowship, and also to be baptized in water in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's how Jesus starts his invitation to you, to all of you. Seems like random social advice, but it's not. Here's the scene. Jesus is at a party. He tells a parable to those who are invited and, and when he notices how they choose places of honor at the party, they choose the best seats at the party, this is what he says to them. Verse 8 of Luke 14. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, rather, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. You'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be what? Humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It feels like practical advice, random practical advice, um, which it is. It's great practical advice. Um, it's usually not a good idea to just get on an airplane and throw yourself into a first-class seat. What will happen? If you don't have a first-class seat, if you have not purchased a first-class seat, they'll kick your tush to the end of that plane where you belong, right? Um, I uh, will tell you I have taken a seat in the back of an aircraft on one occasion um, and in college I was promoted to first class. Somehow they booked me tickets or something and they didn't have enough first class tickets. It was the best flight of my life. It was amazing. The leather was so comfortable. I slept so well. They served me a meal. It was delicious. It wasn't like one of those, well, it probably was a packaged meal, but it was better than the other packaged meals. Um, I have family in North Carolina. We fly from time to time. It was, it was awesome. But I'll tell you that I don't just hop on planes and sit in first class. This was a point that Jesus was making. It's just practical advice, but it's more than that. Verse 15, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, 
Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But then Jesus said this back to him. A man once gave a a great banquet. So Jesus starts telling a story at this point at the party to those who are there. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. If you give a great banquet and invite many, are you a rich man or a poor man? You're a rich man, okay? So a rich man gave a banquet, invited many. By the way, isn't it awesome that Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a party? If you know the Lord, aren't you glad heaven's going to be a party? What is your picture of heaven like? Is it like a perpetual choir practice? It's like just, you're just racked with boredom. It's just unceasing, just sit there and scratch your head and wonder what you're going to do next. Absolutely not. Heaven's going to be an amazing. It is not colorless. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be entertaining and exciting. There's not just constant harp strumming, as you might suppose. We're going to have a blast. And it's going to be free of all the bad things that parties are typically comprised of in our culture. It's going to be full of laughter and joy and friendship, no pain. I can't wait. You? It's going to be awesome. So Jesus begins a story about a rich man throwing a party. Verse 17, at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. In these days, it was, it was common to send two invitations, not unlike weddings in our day. The first was a save the date. The second was the actual invitation. So the first would go out months in advance because there were too many moving pieces. In this culture, they couldn't tell you an exact time, so they give you a week to be in town because a lot of people would have to travel. And so they come that week, and then at some point during the week, it would be published the exact time, the exact location of the party, okay? So the first invitation, people RSVP to, they said, we'll be there, okay? And so a bunch of people say yes to the save the date, but then when they get the second invitation, in verse 18, here's what happens. But they all alike began to make excuses, The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Does that even make sense to you? I've bought a field, now I must go see it. Would you not go see the field before you bought it? Would you not check out what kind of field you're buying? I bought a field, therefore I must go and see it. It's just dirt, right? It's going to be the same condition tomorrow as it is today. Okay? Verse 19, another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I must go examine them. Now this would be a major investment. Five yoke of oxen in this day, it'd be like two and a half years of income. So big purchase. Would you shell out that much money after not having looked at already the oxen? And I'd drive down to the equity and take a look, wouldn't you? I'd see what I'm buying right? For two and a half years worth of income. So another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Because the last thing a new bride wants to do is go to a great party with lots of great food and fanfare, right? Nobody wants to do that. So I don't know about you, I would never turn down a free food offer as a newlywed. Why? We didn't have any money. 
right? Of course, we'd take a free food offer. We'd be there in a heartbeat. We bought the cheap stuff that ended in O's, right? Oreos, Doritos, Fritos, SpaghettiOs, Cheerios, Taquitos, Ho-Hos, all those O's. That's what we'd eat. We were hungry, right? It was cheap. Here's the point. All of these are lame excuses. All of them. Verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Two shocking things about this story. The first shocking thing is that the original invitees, after replying yes to the save the date, did not actually come They made excuses. The second shocking thing is that Jesus then sent out invites or the man in the story who represents Jesus Christ to disabled, the poor, the blind, the lame. And the servant said, verse 22, Sir, what you commanded has been done and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Now the rich man takes the gloves off and he says, Go to the people who are not even allowed into the city. Go to the outcasts, go to the reprobates, go to those that are, are morally bankrupt, the ex-cons, the misfits, the, the perverts, the impolite, the risky ones. Invite all of them to my party. Verse 24, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited, none of the yesers to the save the date, shall taste my banquet. Notice how Jesus suddenly shifts He uses a word in the first person. He was telling a story about someone else in the third person. And now he shifts and he uses the first person. He says, none of the men who were invited shall taste, not the rich man's banquet. But what does he say? My banquet. Up until this point, he's been telling a standalone story. Now he gives us an indication. He reveals that he's the master in the story. The story represents himself and that those people who are sitting in front of him listening to the story represent the people who are making excuses. Awkward time to be in the room, yes or no? Awkward time to be in the room. The parable is Jesus' summary of the way that the nation of Israel responded to him. They said yes to the save the date. They're looking for the Messiah. When's he going to come? When's he going to come? But the invitation comes. Jesus Christ himself comes doing works and miracles to show people that he's sent by the Father. And what do people do? They close the door. Now he's arrived and they're making excuses as to why Jesus isn't the Savior. Of course they're religious. It ought to alarm us that religious people missed Jesus more than any type of other people. Verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied Jesus and he turned to them and said, 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, so he's out of the story now, he's speaking directly to the people now in front of him. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus' statement has confused people over the course of the centuries. Um, They responded like you and I would when we read this for the first time. Hate your wife, hate your kids, hate hate yourself. Haven't we been taught in the Bible to love our wives and kids and selves? Yes, you have. Yes, they had. This is just called a comparative term. It's a way of speaking because compared to our commitment to Jesus as preeminent, as sovereign, as Lord of our lives, as a first and utter importance, every other commitment in our life, Jesus is saying, should feel like, by contrast, a hate relationship. That's how much we're to adore and love Jesus. Think of it this way. The Burris family has two domestic rats whom we love, Stormy and Snowy. You should come meet them. We had a family over at the house not too long ago, and one of their kids laughed, or one of their kids asked the parent, can we have rats, Mom, like on the way out, like begging them? And I just chuckled because this family has tried to get us to take a cat forever. And I'm like, this is irony. This is the twist of fate. So we love our rats. But what if a robber came to my house and said, you can choose between your rats and your kids? I'm going to shoot one group and leave you the other. Okay. It'd be sad to say goodbye to our kids. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> of course we give them the rats, right? Take the rats. I love my kids. Okay. This is my choice. I want to keep the kids. Well, that's, that's an easy one, okay? Jesus' point by comparison is even though our love for our family is vast, it pales to the love that we ought to have, to the loyalty that we ought to have to Jesus Christ. So here's three things that this parable teaches, okay? Number one, good people miss the kingdom of God. Good people miss heaven. Some of these people miss the party because they failed to realize the importance of the invitation. The excuses aren't in and of themselves evil, are they? Like nobody's skipping for a big important drug deal. They're skipping for things that matter to them. The excuses, though, are simply weak. The excuses become evil because the excuses justify missing something of greater importance. Even if some had wives to tend to, even if examining the oxen was legitimate, they pale in comparison to the importance of the invitation that the people received. Sometimes I don't take your phone calls, or for that matter, the phone calls of my parents or others, because I'm in a staff meeting, or because I'm visiting with someone at the hospital. I went to see someone this week at our Edgar location who's just riddled with cancer, just shriveling up. And I just, times like that, I just turn it off. I just go in and embrace the time. 
But if someone were to run in and say, there's an emergency, or if Shannon, it were on, and she texted me and, say, and, and says one of the kids was in an accident, well, of course, I'm gone. I'm gone, right? Um, when Meghan Markle and Prince Harry got married a couple of years ago, I have read that the invitation read, the Lord Chamberlain is commanded by the queen to invite and then the individual's name would be listed. I wonder how many people received that invitation and, and were like, bummer, I just bought a couple oxen and they need to be examined. <laughs> Here's what we know. The Lord Jesus Christ has been commanded by his Father, the creator of the universe, to invite you to his banquet. He wants you to be in heaven. He wants you to be his child. He wants to live with you forever. It's an invitation for a lost person to be found. It's an invitation for somebody who's broken to be put back together again. It's an invitation for an addict to be set free. It's an invitation for a lonely individual to find a family. It's an invitation for shame and regret to be lifted and sins forgiven. Like what else could trump that in importance? And even if you're not sure about God, maybe you're an atheist, maybe you're an agnostic, maybe you'd say, I don't believe or I'm not sure. Would you at least acknowledge the importance of the question? I mean, what if the Bible teaches things that are true, that are actually true? The Bible says that eternity will be comprised of one or two of one of two places for every individual that has lived under the sun. Either heaven, which is a place of unimaginable pleasure in the radiance of the sun, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lights up the place. He lights up the city. That's how bright and how good he is. Or, or hell a place eternally moved from God, full of conscious torment and pain. Jesus, I want you to know, was the most tender human being that ever lived. He wasn't like some of these hate-filled preachers that you've, that you've maybe seen or, or heard about. He is warning us because he loves us immensely. He died to save us. So what if this is actually going to happen? What if his crucifixion was actually for your sin? What if he meant it when he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And you're over there examining oxen. Treating the narrative lightly. Casually. Like it's not of importance. 
altogether ignoring it. The second reason people miss God is that some people miss him, they feel unworthy. They feel unworthy. The story was scandalous because rich, important people were disinvited by the master and social outcasts were brought into the gathering. That says who Jesus is. It says something about who God wanted to invite. He wanted to invite everybody. And some people miss it because they don't believe God would ever want them there. This is proof that he does. He wants you there. You matter to him. You are loved by him. You're precious in his sight. I think there's something to give you a a bit of a break in human nature that makes us feel like we have to earn everything we receive. I get it. I feel that way. You know what happens every time we throw a church potluck? Somebody will forget forget to bring something and they'll say to me or somebody else, we're not going to stay. We forgot to bring something. Why? Because instinctively they feel that they ought to bring something to the party if they're going to stay and enjoy the party, right? It's just in us. It's It's good manners, but it's not how the gospel works. The truth is that there is nothing we can bring to this big potluck in the sky. Absolutely nothing. It's all provided for. The Bible says our righteousness is like what? Filthy rags. Meaning that there's not enough old ladies we can help cross the street. There's not enough dollars we can give to United Way. We can't earn our way there. We are, to further the illustration, we are the children of God, the highway people, and the hedge people. We are the outcasts. We are the sinners. We are the ones who need a savior. The Bible says God made him that knew no sin to become sin. At the cross, Jesus Christ exchanged his righteousness for our sinfulness. He literally paid the price that we owed. The invitation is for you. Jesus is saying, come to the table. Poor, broken, Come, wondering, afraid, come. Those who have fallen away, come back. Shamed and rejected, come. Those who are discouraged, come. Those who have been abused, God forbid, come. You're not unworthy. I love you. You're wanted by me. The invitation is yours. Third, Some miss the party because they refuse, refuse to acknowledge that they are unworthy. Which sounds like a complete contrast to number two. But listen, in number two, people miss the party because they assume that they are unworthy of Christ's love. Number three brings to light the whole point of this story. It's an indictment of the religious community. The story is addressed to people who think they have their stuff together. That's the whole point. That was the audience. They neglected Jesus 
because they didn't see how desperate they were for his salvation. So here's two facts for you. Religion is the number one substitute for genuine faith. Number one. Religion convinces you that you are doing something to earn your place to the party. Through religion, you think that, that you can keep paying God off, that if your good deeds is higher than your bad deeds, um, it's hard for you to admit in that position that you need Jesus. Because why? It's all about you and what you do and how you perform. The second fact is that people big into religion miss more of Jesus than anybody else and any other people group. It's an indisputable fact that people that are religious and connected to centers of power, religious or otherwise, have missed Jesus. Why? Because his message is not what they want to hear. They want to hear if I live a good life, if I'm a social activist, if I'm generous, if I'm better than you, if I live strong, I'm going to get into heaven. And people have corrupted the faith to say just that. That's not Christ's message. The gospel is this. Are you ready? We have no inherent worthiness. We are worthy because Jesus Christ gave us his righteousness. But inherently, we are not. We have precious worth in his sight when we're his children, but our sin initially brought on rebellion, corruption, obstinate sinfulness, and because of it, we're hopeless. We're hopeless. We need a savior. We need to be rescued. We need to be born again. Religion teaches us this is about what I do. Christianity teaches us this is what Christ has already done. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, not the middle class in spirit. Not the ones who think they have some skin in the game, and that's why Jesus is looking favorably at them. Blessed are those who are bankrupt. Blessed are those who need salvation. Not those who say, you know, I've got quite a bit of credit in my spiritual bank. The poor in spirit says, even with my acts of kindness was mixed in self-righteousness. Even the good things I did were often with bad motives. Come to think of it, every part of me is stained by sin. I need help. I need a savior. George Whitefield, whose preaching spawned the Great Awakening in the United States, said that a person must first repent of sins. That makes sense, right? Then he said, second, we must repent of righteousness. He made the point, our strengths are as dangerous as our sins. They delude us with false confidence. They trick us into thinking that we are sufficient for heaven. 
that we're pleasing to God because we've done X, Y, and Z. So some people miss the invitation because they refuse to acknowledge that salvation comes by grace alone. So now we're ready to understand why Jesus started this parable with this seemingly irrelevant, random advice. Only if you are willing to take the lower place that is to say, only if you are admitting you are poor, lame, blind, crippled, figuratively, Jesus will call you up to the high place at his party. The humbled will be exalted. If you think you deserve the high place, you will be humiliated and given the low place. The gospel is not that Jesus rewards the righteous with a high place. The gospel is that Jesus, the only one who deserves the high place, voluntarily took the low place for us in order to promote us if we receive him in humility to the highest of places. It's the only way the gospel can be received. That's Jesus' point. It's if we admit that we're sinful. So the parable isn't just good social advice. It's not just manners. It's the way we inherit heaven. And so if you're ready to inherit heaven this morning, I want to again extend an invitation. I'm just, I'm just passing the invitation along. Jesus has extended it to go to heaven. A great hymn writer of the church uh, was a gal named uh, Charlotte Elliott. She was disabled, literally. She carried a great amount of bitterness and shame because of her disabilities. And in her early 20s, she became a Christian and she wrote a hymn. Her brother was a Presbyterian preacher and she said, my sister Charlotte has reached more people for the gospel through the one hymn that she wrote than through all of my sermons combined. Here are some lyrics from one of her most popular hymns. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, poor, wretched, blind, Sight, riches, healing of the mind. Yes, all I need in thee to find, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, wilt pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. In short, she means that whoever or wherever you are, you can come to Jesus. It'll cost you everything. Let me ask you a series of questions. What could possibly equal the importance of this invitation? 
of knowing Christ, what could possibly justify ignoring this invitation? What is it that's keeping you from Jesus? And will you be glad that you held on to that thing that's keeping you from Jesus five minutes into eternity? What's your excuse to turn down the invitation? Well, I've still got questions. That's great. Come to Alpha. It starts today. We'll feed you fried chicken. Start the conversation. But the church is too many hypocrites. You and I know that has nothing to do with it. There's a ton of quacks in the medical profession. Are there? Are there not? We still take medicine. I'm sure you have had moments of hypocrisy also. Jesus said himself, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. Of course the church is full of hypocrites. It's where they find help for their hypocrisy. But I'm going to wait until I'm older. I'm just going to wait until I'm older. Go check your oxen. Make sure they're okay. You may fall so in love with your oxen that your heart hardens and you become disinterested in Jesus forever. My second invitation I told you is to be baptized. Baptism is like the wedding ring, man. It's like the sign of the commitment. It's saying publicly, I'm going to commit my life to Jesus Christ. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need Jesus. I receive his salvation. I'm forgiven. I'm clean because the righteousness that he gives me. Some of you have made excuses. I told you this was going to be stronger than most Sundays. Forever regarding Christian baptism. I'm not ready. But if you've trusted in Christ, you are ready. Baptism is only the public announcement of your faith, of an inward reality. Baptism says to everybody watching, I know I love Jesus. I'm a sinner. I need him. I'm ready to publicly tell everybody he's my savior. And if you have accepted his invitation, but not ready to go public, then I have no choice but to wonder how serious you are about the invitation you've accepted. You just met God. You met God. Show it. People say it's not that important. And I'm thinking, if you won't obey God in this small step, how do you think you'll obey God in the bigger steps? You say, I was baptized as a baby. No offense to those of you who grew up in traditional churches, but baptism as a baby was not your profession of faith. It was your parents' profession of faith. Praise God for that. That's awesome. But you need to make your own decision. Your parents baptized you as a baby. Wonderful. You're serving Jesus. Ratify that. Validate that in adult baptism. Declaring your faith. You say, well, it looks really inconvenient. I mean, it's getting cold outside and 
I'm gonna have to drive home all wet. And gosh, we normally do lunch together at Mezcal as a family afterwards. And he's like, please hear me in love. I don't think you understand Christianity if you're thinking about salsa in this moment. Jesus said that to follow him is to take up our cross, which was his instrument of death. Inconvenience is not really a category that ought to enter into that discussion. So first, would you bow your head? I want to give you an invitation to accept Christ as your Savior and inherit, inherit heaven to accept the invitation. It's here. Not to tend oxen. Not to worry about other people. It's yours. He's offering it to you today. Is there anybody here with every head bowed that would just lift your hand and say, I want to become a Christian today? Awesome. Awesome. Praise God. Anybody else? Just lift your hand. Just say, today's my day. I'm tired of playing by the creek bank. I just want to fall into his goodness and grace. I want to know God. I want to become a Christ follower. I know it costs me everything. I want to become a Christian. Anybody else? Anybody else want to give your heart to Jesus this morning? Would there be anybody here who would say, I, need, I don't need to come to the table today, but I need to come back to the table? Awesome. Praise God. Wonderful. Anybody else? I want to recommit my life to Christ this morning. I want to declare he's my daddy again. He's my father. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. Everybody look up here. One person just gave their life to Jesus Christ this morning or indicated that they wanted to. Two others indicated they wanted to recommit their life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that heaven rejoices more when a lost sheep is found than the 99 who were never lost to begin with. So let's pray, and then we're going to applaud and rejoice. Would you repeat after me? Dear Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner I'm selfish, I'm motivated wrongly, I need help, I need salvation, I need you to change me from within. I believe you died, I believe you resurrected from death for me. I give you my sinfulness, I receive your righteousness and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate what God did in that moment just now? <laughs> Second invitation, I'm not going to give you a chance to reconsider. I'm going to go for the jugular right now. If you would say, I'm a Christian today, and I want to be baptized next Sunday, or I've never been baptized in, in my childhood to adult. I was baptized as a baby. I want to be baptized next Sunday. Lift your hand in water. Awesome. Awesome. We're going to fill up the tank next Sunday.
Anybody else? This is exciting. Anybody else want to get baptized next Sunday? All right. Quisind, Holly, be here. We're going to hold you accountable. Praise God. Praise God. Isn't he good to us? Man, he's good to us. Father, we just pray that as we continue, Lord, to celebrate coming to the table, Lord, that you offer us salvation and hope. Lord, that we will see lives changed in Stratford and Edgar, Wisconsin, and into the future. Lord, wherever you would lead us, you're awesome. We treasure you. You've given us heaven. You've given us heaven. It's of great importance. God, for those who are still tending oxen, God, I pray that you would still draw them. In Jesus' name, amen.